0: Let's go into the night with Rick Baloo on 1010XL 92.5 FM.
1: I may not come back. I may win so much money this weekend in Las Vegas, I may not return. Um, But I was going to put all of my cabbage on Tiger Woods tomorrow to win the third round, on Tiger Woods on moving day, and then for him to come from behind, put up a historically low number at Riviera, and win at a place that he has never won as a professional. And he has since uh, now taken himself out of the second round. We don't know officially what is going on. The belief is back spasms. The official word is that he's ill. Had a chance to listen to a couple, his birdie on one and the par on two, and then uh, get in front of a television set for the other four holes. And it was right after his t-ball on seven didn't really, really didn't show anything the television camera didn't show any discomfort or anything along those lines if you watched Tiger yesterday or today there's a noticeable limp uh, with everything that has gone on in his lower body a few years ago of course that is where he arguably cheated death um, in that horrific accident uh, but it, it it's a back and you know yesterday Upon completion of his plus 172, he did have a bogey coming in yesterday on 18 um, because the, the total was seventy-one and a half. So a lot of people really hanging on that final putt uh, that he did miss, had to tap in for a bogey. He talked about back spasms. As a matter of fact, it was Doug Ferguson who asked the question, fine rider, covers golf for the PGA Tour. You may remember Doug. I think he may still live here. He covered the Jaguars very early on in the uh, in the mid to late 90s uh, when I got here to town as well. But I've, I've known Doug for quite some time, and um, that's got to be a great job, right, to be one of those national golf riders on tour. I mean, <laughs> you go to the best places in the country. But, but he asked Tiger, he said, well, why the back spasms? And he said, because my back was fused. Now, I had a neck fusion in 1999, and there are times... And obviously, I'm not an athlete. Tiger Woods is. Tiger Woods puts incredible amounts of, uh, of effort. And, you know, he's got the best doctors in the world. He's got the best team physicians in the world who are working with Tiger Woods to get to point A and point B. There are times where my neck, there's just very little movement, right? We talk about a defensive back has to have his head on a swivel. You can't do that with a fused neck. And and thankfully, I I get to visit my buddy, Dr. Michael Chinatry, who does a wonderful job uh, with acupuncture and uh, needling and and other things that kind of get rid of the tension in my neck and back. And also, I've had these chronic headaches, which are driving me nuts. Just insane. Uh, and, And the needles help with that as well. But he's been getting a lot of back spasms, never competitively. Until yesterday. He's had him while he's been working out, you know, with his son Charlie or everything else that he's been doing to try to get ready uh, for this tournament. Uh, To me, this is a massive blow. And I want to put it in perspective. I didn't think Tiger Woods was going to win this tournament. I don't believe Tiger Woods is ever going to win another tournament. Okay? Um, But it's still... Tiger, and, and this is like, for me, this is a really sad day. You know, we haven't seen Clint Eastwood act in a while, right? We haven't seen Jack Nicholson act uh, in a while, right? I mean, they just, there comes a day where you got to say goodbye. And I get the feeling that this is the end. I could be totally wrong. It could just be a back spasm. I mean, you know, today he birdied one, he bogeyed four and five. He was plus one today, plus two for the tournament. He was a stroke above the cut. I'm not going to call Tiger Woods a quitter, but maybe he was just saying, you know what? I have discomfort. I'm way out. Your leader's right now up to the, uh, up to the second. Patrick Cantlay, my goodness, a 64 yesterday. He's four under today through 11, uh, excuse me, through 12. So he's at 11 under par, and he has a three-stroke lead over Mackenzie Hughes, Luke List, and uh, how about the turnaround of Jason Day? Good to see him back on the front page of the leaderboard. You know, I was doing some reading on Patrick Cantlay. He leads the PGA Tour. 64.75 is his first 18 holes so far on tour. It goes up to 73 during the final round. Think about that. It's an increase of more than nine strokes, your first 18 holes, to your final. 18 holes. And it gradually gets worse. Second round, third round, and then the explosion in round number four. That's why he's not winning tournaments. That's why he's not cashing uh, an awful lot of checks. But, you know, back to Tiger Woods, In, in I may be wrong. He could be here. He could play in Arnold's event. He could play here at the Players' Championship. Um, I get the feeling that that's not going to happen. And that, to me, is very frustrating. And again, I hope that I am wrong. I I just, the players is going to be okay. The players championship is going to get by on reputation. It's going to get by because you, as great golf fans, you, you love supporting this event. Let's face it, it's a phenomenal party. But it's getting to the point now where you're going to be involved with the chalets and you're going to be involved with these top companies and you're going to be rubbing elbows with whomever it may be. Is it really going to matter who the golfer is? There was a time around here when you knew who was coming through. Big personalities, outstanding golfers. I just don't think that's going to be the case. I know they have video scoreboards everywhere that gives you the up-to-the-second information, and that helps. But it's so robotic. It's so on. Bi- it's the same. It's the same-looking guy, no personality. Who's he? Where is he from? How long has he been on the tour? And I feel bad because there's a lot of really good people over there. And, again, my, my expectations this year – as you will hear after the Players' Championship, record-setting numbers for tickets, record-setting numbers for money that is being given to charity. That, that's my prediction. But is it still going to be the same for you, the eye test? Is it still going to be the same for you as far as the field? I thought Tiger Woods coming this year would have added so much. They have to privately right now be really upset about the fact that, that Tiger was injured. He said before this event... I'd like to play once a month. We never knew if he was going to play here. I I think there would have been pressure on him to play here because it is the Players' Championship. It's the PGA Tour. Uh, But then again, it's Tiger Woods. No one's going to tell Tiger Woods what to do. Maybe he feels he had a better shot of winning the week prior to that over at Bay Hill and Arnold Palmer's event where he's won, I believe, eight times uh, throughout his career. So... You know, we saw him walk off today and it was like, you know, let it sink in. It's it's over, Baloo. And it's not only about me. It's it's or certainly not only about me. It's about millions and millions and millions and millions of Tiger Wood fans. Do you have any idea how many eyeballs were brought to the television set today and yesterday? Playing hooky, getting out of work early to go watch Tiger Woods play. I'm sorry, you don't do that for Sam Ryder or Keegan Bradley or Wyndham Clark or Matt Kuchar or J.J. Spawn or Charlie Hoffman or Siwoo Kim. You don't leave the office early. You do for Tiger, okay? He's still the huge draw. And I started thinking about it today. I was like, sports heroes, right? For some reason or another, we put our sports heroes Actors, rock stars, some of you out there, uh, political figures, okay? I, I leave that alone because that's when a healthy conversation turns into complete aggravation, right? I mean, God forbid, don't know what side I'm on, right? If you can figure out what side I lean, the other side is going to hate you because there's no in-between, politically speaking, right? There's not. There is in sports. You can have a, a conversation. There is in, in rock star fandom. There is when it comes to the great actors and actresses uh, of our time. Um, so I was thinking sports heroes. We got the great American race coming up this weekend. I mean, I was a huge Deal fan. I was there every year. I was there when Deal won. I was there when Deal died. Okay? I, I remember earlier in the race. And when Dale was gone, I I became a Tony Stewart fan. I remember the day that Dale Earnhardt died earlier in the race. The the wreck by Tony Stewart was just awful. All of the cars that were involved and the way that Tony Stewart's car flipped and flipped and flipped. Yet he was able to, um, you know, carry on. But I love Dale Earnhardt and I love Tony Stewart. Okay, no one has asked me I don't know how much people really care anymore, but no one has asked me, hey, who do you want to win this year's Daytona 500? I have an answer for you. I could care less. I don't have a favorite, okay? If Tiger Woods leaves, who do I want to see win the Players' Championship? Who's my favorite golfer on the PGA Tour? I don't have one. And I know I'm supposed to be neutral and honest and objective, but. It's impossible not to get your mind involved with what it is that you are doing, and we're all fans. We're born fans. The, the, you know, my my friend Jay Mariotti, who I bring on a few times a year, he's living out in Los Angeles now. Always argued with me about this point. He he said that that's wrong. You can become a journalist. You can become covering an event. Okay, and I covered the 2000 United States Open uh, with Jay Mariotti and and Mark Cannizzaro, who was working with us as well, also was another fine golf writer for the New York Post. He'll be here next month uh, for the Players' Championship. And, you know, I was pulling for Tiger then. Also on that Friday was the final United States Open for Jack Nicklaus. He needed to hole out on 18 on a Friday at Pebble Beach, and he left it like six feet from the hole. And up making the potty miss the cup by one stroke back in the year two thousand, uh, Jack Nicklaus. but but Mariotti's like, no, 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 no. When you really are focused on your job, you could care less who wins. I've always been like, that's impossible. I mean, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but can you think of one media member in this town that you don't know that he's a fan or she is a fan? of a team, whether it's the Jaguars or the Knolls or the Gators or anyone else? I mean, ask yourself that question. If so, if you have a guy, if you have a gal, send it to me. 641-1010 on the text line. You old school listeners will remember the years where I was clearly a Patriots fan, where I drew your ire by openly rooting for New England. In those playoff games, and I mean, I switched over time. I switched um, not because there was pressure put on me, but because I left Boston, right? I came here, and it's not because of the team. It's not because of the coaches. It's because of the fans. It's because of the people that I associate myself with who are diehard Jaguar fans that I've known for years and years and years and years. Many friends of mine. Unfortunately, some of them have passed. But that's why I want to see the Jaguars do. You think I want the, I want to see the Jaguars do well because I want Shog Khan to win a ring? You think I want to see the Jaguars do well because I want Trent Baalke or Doug Peterson to win a ring? No. I want the Jaguars to win a ring so you, the plumber, who's been working here for 30 years can tip back beers and get with your buddies and have the time of your life because the Jaguars are Super Bowl champions. That's what I want. But nonetheless, sports heroes, man, they're just not around anymore. This could, the, Tiger Woods today reminded me of the end of the road for Muhammad Ali. Ali should have no longer been in the ring. I, I was trying to think of anyone else that I could compare him to. We watched Elway win two and leave. We watched Peyton win and leave. We watched Brady win two in a row, then lose to the Cowboys, and that was end of, uh, the end of his career. All right? Um, I thought of baseball. We saw those great Yankees. Rivera walk off the bump. Jeter called a career. All right? Um, they're just, it, it, past couple of years, we've seen poo holes. We've seen a, a few others. Uh, Chipper Jones— You know, going back, um, I guess it's been, what, around 10 years or so now when it happened with Chipper. But there just doesn't appear to be, at least in my mind, the sports heroes that we once had. And here's where I want to go with it. And please educate us. Because you diehard Jaguar fans, quick, outside of maybe Calais Campbell, who was traded for a fifth-round pick, and it was a money dump. It saved $15 million when they moved him to Baltimore a few years ago. I, I know that Calais was adored here. I get it. But honestly, you can be the truest Jaguar fan of all. How many Jaguar players who either were traded, released, or retired, did it really affect you? Were you blown away when the Jimmy Smith thing finally crumbled? I mean, it had a lot of legs. Were you devastated when Keenan went to Tampa and won a ring? When Fred Taylor went to New England and the thinking was, he's going to get a ring? When MJD went to the Oakland Raiders? When Tony Baselli in the expansion, um, scenario that involved Houston when he was moved there? I, I'm asking you, okay, because we're talking about a franchise now that's been around for three decades, all right? How many of these players, for one reason or another, you as a fan was like, no, 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 I can't, no. Mark Brunell, right? Last year, again, I really drew your ire when I made the comment right here on these airwaves that I put you in a category of being, uh, let me say the, the kind word that I used uh, last year, idiot. If you wouldn't want Jalen Ramsey to come back here and play, regardless of what he did, he's one of the best corners in the league. I had every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there on Twitter telling me to go jump into a piranha-filled pond. It was my opinion. Jalen Ramsey is that good. We saw what Jalen did, faked the back injury, forced him way out of town. Were you crushed when he left? Were you crushed when you couldn't get anything? You couldn't even get, you couldn't even get a bag of balls for Leonard Fournette. The guy put up 1,700 yards from the line of scrimmage. 1,700, and you got nothing for him. So I'm asking you, those are some of the biggest names— that this franchise has ever had. Did it bother you? Did it affect you? Did it it flip you upside down? Did it get to the point where it honestly ruined your day? It ruined your weekend? Yeah, I remember I was just a pup. But in September in 1975, it may have been the last time I cried. Bobby Orr signed a free agent contract? With the Chicago Blackhawks, everyone my age growing up in that time period in Boston, you wanted to be the next Bobby Orr, okay? It wasn't even close. Don't Randy Vataha me or Jim Plunkett or Minnie McHeron or Sam the Bam Cunningham or JoJo White or Dave Collins or John Havlicek or Charlie Scott or Carly Stramsky or Carlton Fisk or Jim. No, no, no. Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr, he was was Elvis, he was John Wayne, there's there's never been anything since like that, not Manny, not Pedro, not David Ortiz, not Larry Bird, not Tom Brady, nothing has ever been close to Bobby Orr in that part of the country, they let him go to Chicago, Devastated, just absolutely devastated. I mean, when they traded Fred Lynn and uh, and Steve Ranko in 1981 for Frank Tanana and Joe Rudy to the then California Angels. Again, just, just uh, all all upset. And I know the older we get, we really don't have the whole sports fandom is is a little bit. Uh, It's more tailor-made to the young kids, right? The young boys, the young girls. You want an autograph. You want a jersey. You get a little bit older, and you're not supposed to be that way. But hell, look at the Trevor Lawrence conversation this week. I made it crystal clear that my confidence in him has waned in a year. Still, one individual out there called me a fanboy. Another individual out there said the only reason why I like Trevor Lawrence is because he's a white quarterback. Okay, wait—we've got all sorts of people who listen, and it's never, ever, ever, ever about what I say. It's always about what you hear. So enlighten me tonight. I'm going to pick JJ's brain here on the other side of our f- very first break. I Tigers got—I—I I don't have a favorite on the PGA tour. I. We were getting ready for the Super Bowl, and JJ and I talked about it on air, but I'm at a Super Bowl party with friends, and they're like, who are you pulling for tonight, Kansas City? I'm like, you know what, bro? I really don't care. Who are you pulling for, Michigan or Washington, to win? And I really don't care. There's so much of me now that doesn't care. I care an awful lot about Florida State. I care an awful lot about the Jaguars. I still care an awful lot about the Bruins. Far and away, my number one Boston team. Way, way over the Celtics. And the Red Sox, you know, I kind of made my penance there. I, I, I kind of like, you know what? I, I prayed for one and they gave me four. It's like, here's the way I would describe the Boston Red Sox. You meet with a doc and he looks at her and he looks at you and he says, sorry, sorry. But you're never going to be able to get pregnant. It's never going to happen. And sure enough, a year later, you have a baby. You win a World Series. And then on top of that, you win three freaking more. You have three more babies over the next 16 years. That's what the Red Sox did. That's why I can't get down on them anymore. Yeah, I've had my moments. But, I mean, they delivered. They brought four titles. My dad saw it, damn it. My dad got to see it. My mom, who's no longer with us, got to see it. So, you know, I've kind of, like, moved on in that part of my life, and I'm, like, okay with it. I really, out of anyone, I want to see the Bruins win it so bad. And, again, I've divorced them. I'm not watching them play this year. I'm just not doing it for my own mental health. I, I firmly do believe that one day the Jaguars are going to win a Super Bowl. I believe that. Do I think it's going to happen next year? No. But I think it's going to happen someday. I hope I'm alive uh, for it. But it just feels like the great ones are no longer with us. I'd like to hear from you on it, whether you agree or disagree. And especially when it comes to your Jaguars. I mean, is anything that happens this year really going to – if Cam Robinson's gone, are you going to lose sleep? If they don't bring back Calvin Ridley, are you going to lose sleep? If they screw this up and don't bring in Josh – I mean, I remember your comments on Josh Allen last year. 50% 50% of you didn't believe in Josh Allen last year. I'm not making that up. That's the truth. JJ can acknowledge that. He reads the text line just like I do every show, but he produces other shows. I, half of you people weren't sold. Just like half you people right now are not sold on Trevor Lawrence. So if they end up leaving, I, I can't see how it's going to really bother you. All right, we got a lot to do tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. Getaway program. Next week, uh JJ, what? You'll be here? Actually, you'll be off, right? Monday, at least? Uh well, I'll be doing primetime, but yeah, next next
2: <clears throat> week the whole like nights I'm off. Can't believe those primetime guys make you work. I know, it's terrible.
1: My goodness. But
2: yeah, Thursday I'll be gone too. So we won't see each other in like like a three or four weeks. Wow. It's going to be uh, sad tonight. Three or four weeks? Tonight, yes. I'm just gone all week. And I'm then... gone
1: two weeks after that, though. Okay. So well, it is going to be a little bit of a stretch. Will be. Then the next time I see you, it'll basically be the Players' Championship. Yeah, well, I'll be speaking Italian. <laughs> 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 all right, so we'll, we'll get into that tonight. But I, 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 I have other things planned, which, trust me, I'm going to go to. But... As I've always said, I, I like to do radio through what I think fans want to hear. And in this case, Jaguar fans want to hear. This is a little bit self-serving. Because I honestly want to know who has been moved off this team that ruined it for you. Because that's the way I feel today with Tiger. All right, And I knew he wasn't going to I just want to see him survive. I wanted to see him make the cut and then announce that he's playing here in 25 days. Right now, I think that those chances... Are very slim. All right, Shmunez Vision. Known Dr. Neil Schmunez forever. Uh, family organization. They focus on personal high-quality medical and surgical eye care. I know I sound like a beaten record, but it's the truth. Play golf early this morning at Simron. Beautiful golf course. Man, the greens are the best that I've seen in a very long time. Got a knucklehead buddy you can't see. Okay. Just cannot see. I'm like, bro, go see Shmunez. He's like, yeah, I just I've had trouble with my vision. My, my, my eye doctor's a good guy. You don't need a good guy, okay? Any eye doctor's a good guy. Heck, the Schmunezes are great guys. That's enough, though. You need someone that's going to be able to fix your vision. I can't believe there are people who cannot see a golf ball off the tee. Or if you're 150 yards out and you think that you're 250 yards out, I mean, that's a problem. So you need to go to Dr. Shmunez. Check out everything. Uh, just go online to Shmunez Vision. Much more than just an eye examination, we're talking about a uh, you know fully trained in, in cataract surgery, all refractive surgery, high-quality medical and surgical eye care. For all of the details, just go to ShmunezVision.com. All right, we got plenty to do right here. It is a Friday edition. He is J.J. LaSelva. My name is Rick Ballou, this is Into the Night.
0: We're an Irish fan, we come from Dublin City, Ireland. Like all cities, it has its good, and it has its bad. This is a song called Bad. Into the night with Rick Baloo on 1010XL 92.5 FM. U2 this weekend in Las Vegas, now they're not gonna play bad.
1: My all-time favorite U2 song, but that's okay. It's gonna be a heck of a good time. Number 29, unless I can scrounge up a ticket for tomorrow night, then it'll be number 30. I'm already in for Sunday. We'll see about Saturday. All right, getting some good stuff in. 6 4 on the text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Uh, Tiger Woods, ill is the official word, but it, it appears that it's back spasms. He removed himself off of the 7th uh, fairway today, taken off on a cart. He was plus 2 overall for the tournament, so he was one stroke over the expected cut line. Remember, there's 70 golfers playing at Riviera. It's top 50 and ties, and the 10-shot rule. I know in a lot of these signature events, there is no cut, but there is, uh, here at, uh, Riviera and I've enjoyed it. I, you know, I say it all the time, non-football season, I I am an enormous golf fan. Okay. When football gets here, I'm sorry. I just, I don't give it the attention that I do during the off season, but the, uh, the Genesis is, uh, is a very good tournament. And, and right now, it's all Patrick Cantlay through 14, 400 today. He's got an, uh, at an 11 under, uh, three strokes better than Mackenzie Hughes, Luke List, and Jason Day. Uh, for what it's worth, those three are all in the clubhouse. So they are your co-clubhouse leaders, Hughes, List, and Day uh, at 65 today for Mackenzie Hughes. That is the best... That is the best mark so far today, a 65. Rory had a really good day. Let me check Rory McElroy. He had a 66 today, five under after a plus 374 yesterday, a 66 today for Rory. So he is at um, two under par, uh, which is pretty cool to see. I want to check one other score because I did play golf earlier this morning with his cousin. That's Gary Woodland, who just went through brain surgery in September. Uh, Gary Woodland, who of course won the United States Open out at Pebble Beach, he is now even par through 14. That was the uh, grouping of Gary Woodland, Justin Thomas, and Tiger Woods, and uh, and obviously Tiger uh, no longer with us. J- uh, JT in, in danger of not making the cut. As a matter of fact, he better go on a tear here. He's three strokes below. The projected cut line at plus one, JT through fourteen, plus four. So there's one of the better golfers on the planet who uh appears as though he's not going to be around for the weekend. Let me see. Any other notables? Uh Matt Fitzpatrick plus four, Sam Ryder plus three, Keegan Bradley plus two, uh JJ Spawn, Sepp Straka at plus two. All right, JJ. Yo. Any uh I I know you're a Tiger guy. Um, I am. And, but I expected this. Okay. Anyone get you that fallen I mean fallen sports here where you knew that it was the end of the road. Dude, and, and I got one
2: you? that still hurts when I think about it. Like Ken Griffey Jr. growing up. Like I was a massive Braves fan. Still am. TBS made me that way. But like every night watching SportsCenter, I wanted to check out what the Mariners did. Yeah. Like what did Ken Griffey Jr. do? I was a massive ken griffey jr fan i had the video games i had the jersey i had the cleats everything he gets traded to cincinnati Mm. i was cool with that it was actually really cool because he was in the national league so i got to go see him play the braves a couple times and the injury man i'll never forget it was spring training he's rounding third base and his knee just gave out and he was never the same man and he was on pace to be the best he was and he had the sweetest swing, and, you know, he still played for a while, like a pretty long-ass time after that, but he was never
1: the same. And that one kills me, man. Just what could have been. Yeah, he, uh, he spent the second half of the Actually, he was right around the trade deadline. He went to Chicago to play for the White Sox. Right. And then uh, in 2009-2010, he, he went back to Seattle uh, to wrap it up. It, it's pretty amazing to think that he didn't get to 3,000 hits. 2,781. I mean, I was thinking this guy was going to be 3,250, you know, 3,300 career hits.
2: Steals, hits, homers. Like, oh, you so potentially good. Potentially breaking Aaron's record, you know, and he was known as like a clean guy, you know, just because he was sort of slender, had that sweet swing. Like, nobody
1: ever talked about him as a steroid no. guy. Sucked. He was can't miss. He was the number one pick. Our buddy Greg Huntington actually took a test for him. They went to the same high school. Wow. Uh, Muller High that's School. That's a great story. Yeah, in Cincinnati. And that was the big deal about, you know, of course, that's where Ken Griffey had Even though Ken Griffey Sr. had also had good years in New York with the Yankees, um, he was part of the big red machine. And I've spoken to Eduardo Perez about that. They, they, you know, Pete Rose Jr. tried to make it. He didn't. Yet had Eduardo Perez, who... Went around Major League Baseball a little bit. Of course, he played over at Florida State, um, but never really. Uh, played he, for the
2: Rays for right. a bit. But he wasn't like an all-star. Nah, never
1: became anything close to He's a great broadcaster. Dad was a Hall of Famer. He's a very good broadcaster. Yes, no doubt. And, uh, and Griffey Jr. But can you imagine those little kids running around? Pete Jr., Griffey Jr., and Eduardo Perez. In the
2: clubhouse? Mm-hmm and what they became, you know, that's crazy. Uh, Yeah, and he was so likable, Ken Griffey Jr., you know, like the hat backwards, the whole look. I mean, I remember that 99 home run derby in Fenway against, like, McG- well, when the home run derby was cool, you know, when oh, yeah. it, it was McGuire versus him and Sosa, and Ted Williams came out on the golf cart, and it was like, hey, this is the guy, you know, this guy's about to take over. He had already taken over at that point, but... You know, he'd probably been, what, 10 years into the league then, and so he was about to start breaking records, and uh, it
1: sucked. Remember remember a little bit before that when he was hitting the warehouse in Baltimore? Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, that was like a couple seasons before in the All-Star game. Yes. Just the sweetest swing. Yeah.
1: And then, you know, some people are on him. Oh, he's too casual. He's got the hat on backwards. I'm like, bro, (laughs) this guy's got – I mean – he was so talented. All right, here's a good one. Double zero, seven zero, Bo Jackson after the hip injury, which is, um, you know, I've seen the replay a hundred times. This is a really bad analogy, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's an awful analogy, but I was there when Dale died, and I worked, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night at the Daytona Beach Ale House coming in from Chicago right there down the road from the track. I had no responsibility during the race. That final lap when, um, I think it was was Michael Waltrip who won and Dale went into the wall, I didn't think anything of it. Okay? And I left. And I I flew out of Jacksonville. Most people flew out of uh, Orlando. But I came back here and wanted to see some friends, whatever it was and i got I've told the story a hundred times, and I got a phone call, and they put me right on the air with Chet Kopic, the now late Chet Kopic, who unfortunately passed in a car accident himself out in Savannah probably four or five years ago uh, and they put me on I didn't even know, and I had to cover my track I'm like, oh, yeah, it's devastating you know i I didn't know I had no clue because I left the Daytona five hundred It's a very poor analogy, but I'm making it here. About Bo Jackson, I've seen the replay again and again and again. It just looks like a normal tackle. But the total absolute hip, um, you know, disjointed hip and the hip replacement surgery, never to be able to uh, to come back from that. Well, that's a really good one. I don't think there's any doubt uh, about that uh 4376 people enjoy the sphere can't wait to hear your review uh more of the jam bands uh yeah the dead's there in may Derek trucks i went back and forth with Derek. i was hoping to get him on tonight he played with the dead just last month over in mexico which sounds like a blast yeah but i don't believe he's not you know he's not going to be a part of things in vegas
2: my buddy's going to see the uh, fish there in march i think
1: at the sphere yeah okay
2: another jam band
1: because I know that uh, you know they they got a big show coming up here after Saturday after Saturday night's round at the Players Tedeschi Trucks is playing at the Saint Aug Amp. Sick! Oh, I've never seen them there. That's a great venue. I've seen him at Daly's place. I've seen him at the Florida Theater. Um, I'm not even sure if they have played there. Yeah, maybe they have. I just. I missed out on it. Um, it couldn't be recently. It would have hadn't been back, um, you know, not you know many many years ago, if in fact that was the case. The sixty six thirty eight says Josh Scobie. Hmm. A lot of people love scopes. Okay, that's interesting that you would actually mention a kicker. And I'm not. I'm not, uh, you know, discrediting. A kicker. Most kickers only get mentioned when they miss, right? I mean, you don't hear a lot of Florida State fans today bragging about Scott Bentley, who made four field goals to win the Orange Bowl, to win the first national title in 93. You hear more about Janikowski giving the Gators the the chop that put Florida State up six before the you know, Fred Taylor run and the Jacquez Re- uh, Green catch and, and stuff like that. Now, y'all know about the wide rights, right? You don't often hear – you know, Adam Vinatieri, okay, won Super Bowls in New England. Adam Vinatieri won a Super Bowl in Indy. Uh, but Josh Gobe, interesting there. 6638, Blue, you were in the Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon documentary. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Every time it goes on, people send me that. And Is it like um,
2: you talking – or just like you in the background, me in
1: the garage running him down with a mic. Okay, I got a still photo. Maybe we can put it out there. Or how was your running form? Oh, it was impeccable. <laughs> it was just great form. But uh, yeah, I was a huge Dale guy. I was, and I, you know, listen, I, I don't, I do not know um, NASCAR. Never going to try to lie to you on it. I fooled my bosses in Chicago because I wanted to come back here to Daytona. But anyway, uh, that is that. Uh, (laughs) What does this say? Um, John Osher. Hmm. Okay. When John Osher left. When he left. (laughs) And then then he came back. Uh, uh, Yeah, there you go. Uh, I was talking about these with my brother. All right, you guys are going back and forth. Uh, I I do not know. Uh, With that means, 59, 51, believe I'm 64, grew up uh, up east. All those guys in Boston, you name uh, JoJo White, I I remember, but you you are right. Bobby Orr was the man. As far as the Jags go, it was Fred Taylor. My boys and me got assigned football from him. He was the man, and that broke hearts when he left. Okay, that's kind of what I'm looking for right there. I, I would think that that's probably the biggest one, right? Because I think the Baselli thing, I think you were aware of the fact that he was damaged goods, right? There was a possibility that maybe he could get it back. But you were also looking at it from where Coughlin had put this organization. They were strapped against the cash uh, or against the the uh, the salary cap. And and you had to make some moves. Uh, we got one here on Jimmy Smith and his retirement. I, I, I totally understand that, too. But truth be known, there was a lot of transgressions involved. There were lies involved, right? And I was not here at the time. I was in Chicago when the end of the career came here for Jimmy. But I'm certainly well-read On what did occur. And I've always had a very good relationship with Jimmy Smith. Okay. I want to see him, just like Fred Taylor, someday get in the Hall of Fame. But isn't that one a little bit um, sideways because, you know, the truth was so far between? You know, I remember the same thing with Justin Blackman. When Justin Blackman sat there and looked at us. And said, this is not going to happen again. And I let down the team, and I let down the fans. And, you know, he, he told everyone what they wanted to hear, that it's never going to happen again. And obviously, we, we did see what happened. Really bad news there. All right, getting a lot of good stuff coming in. If you want to uh, uh, join the conversation, you can. 6,4,1, if you'd like to uh, get on in. Rickard, about Steve Blass. Steve Blass is the guy that couldn't throw at first base, right? I thought that, I don't know him. I know Chuck Knobloch. Knobloch was later. It was Steve Sachs who couldn't throw. What did Steve Blast do? He was a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah,
2: he's still alive. Thank God. He's 81. I think he
1: did I think he did a lot of years of broadcasting. But what what was Oh, so-
2: here it is. So you're right. It was he was like the Rick Ankiel. So they called it the Steve Blast disease. Uh, you know, also known as the Yips. Besides his serious performance, Blast is best known for his sudden and inexplicable loss of control after the 1972 season. His ERA climbed to 9.85 that year, or uh, 1973. Mm. He allowed 84 walks, or 84 batters. He only struck out 27 of them over 88. Oh, uh, Yeah, he walked 84 batters in 88 innings. So not quite as crazy as, like, Ankeol. Who just inexplicably lost it in right. a single game and then never got it back. But yeah, this was sort of like
1: the original Yips guy. Like Super Joe Charbonneau, the rookie of the year. And then he fell apart. Mark Fidrich. The bird. Totally fell
2: apart. I mean, we've seen a lot of them. I mean Ankula's story is really badass because he never comes back as a pitcher, never gets things right, and you're just assuming like, all right, this guy's done forever. But he worked so hard to come back no as a batter, an outfielder. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he had a cannon arm. But he was a good enough hitter to make it back to the major leagues. He had a home run for the Braves in the playoffs. Like, he had a respectable career as like a fourth outfielder, like utility guy. That was crazy, man. Yeah. This guy, Steve Blast, never came back after
1: 1974. And apparently, he was loved in Pittsburgh. Okay? i tell you another guy who was loved in Pittsburgh. The late Tim Wakefield. Tim Wakefield was an everyday player. And he couldn't get it done any longer with the bat. Really? But there are these guys, and you've seen it. If you play competitive baseball, college baseball, or certainly the higher up, you get there's There's always been position players, whatever, who can throw a knuckleball, right? Wakefield's dancing bear with absolutely zero rotation on the ball. Nothing. Zip. So the guy came back and won two hundred big league games. <laughs>
2: yeah, he actually okay. he, he never he never got past double A ball as a player or as a, you know, fielder, hitter, and just perfected the knuckleball. Yeah.
1: But he was a position player. Well, it's been didn't know that. I met a lot of those, but but there have been some. Um, but anyway, yeah, good stuff there, Steve. Bless, uh, interesting. They they thought he was going to be the next Sandy Koufax. You look at a guy like Sandy Koufax, man. We are just talking about modern day medicine. I mentioned Bobby Orr with today's medicine. Bobby Orr would have been fine with all those knee injuries, right? I don't know what I don't know about the Bo Jackson hip. I don't know about that one. But um, again, you look at the video, and it's just kind of like, really, that was it. You know, but uh, yeah, certainly entered his career. All right, six four 0, one ten ten. Patrick Cantlay another birdie on fifteen, so he now has a four-stroke lead. He has it at twelve under par. Second round coverage from Riviera. We'll keep you updated there. If you haven't heard, you're getting out of work for the first time. Unfortunately, Tiger Woods uh, had to remove himself from the tournament on the seventh fairway. He was plus one today, plus two for the tournament. But he is gone from Riviera. And now his return here to the Players' Championship in just 25 days, absolutely in doubt.
0: Into the Night with Rick Ballew on 1010XL 92.5 FM.
1: All right, final show for the week. Uh, Hacker will be filling in next week. Actually off Monday, but uh, rest of the week. Uh, Hacker Nation. We'll uh, take over this, and then I will be back in a week. First vacation since late July, so. Got to evaluate that again. I'm in the evaluation uh, process now. I've always, part of myself, never taken any time off during football season. Just, why would you? Uh, but I often find myself saying that I actually enjoy radio much more when it's not football season. A lot of that is because the franchise I cover is a losing franchise. And when you lose, it ruins weeks. It ruins your Monday, particularly. Now, the last two years have been better, right? Nine and eights, playoff win. Um, Certainly, it feels that things are going to begin to get a little bit better. You know, Ryan Nielsen yesterday, I I said an A-plus, it was just – it it said so much. And again, it's pretty hard not to win a press conference. But he dominated it. It's the best press conference I've seen here since Gus Bradley. He just crushed it. But now that I have a little bit of time to digest it, my biggest concern with him has always been how much experience does he have? And I've Given you my opinion on this all throughout, uh, typically in the way of the NFL, you go the exact opposite. You would bring in a Wink Martindale. You'd bring in a Leslie Frazier. Uh, you'd try to maybe get a Mike Vrabel. You know, that wasn't the case. They went with a guy who was a co-defensive coordinator in 2022 in New Orleans and was the defensive coordinator in 2023 in Atlanta. That doesn't mean he, doesn't, that doesn't mean he can't coach. I'm just saying he doesn't have a lot of experience. Thought they would have gone a different route because Mike Caldwell had no experience, just like Press Taylor had no experience. The big nugget is the transition from the quote press man to an organization that is zone. And Trent Baalke spoke on it yesterday. Ryan Nielsen spoke on it. It's it's not a perfect science. It's it's going to be tougher to identify. I I appreciate his honesty yesterday, especially when he talked about things like press and bail. I mean, so yeah, a lot of variations, a lot of mixing, a lot of matching. Hopefully, somewhat of a complex defense that is going to screw up quarterbacks and create a lot of panic with opponents' offensive coordinators. Only time will tell. But when, when you get straight to it, All the things that he said about getting to the ball, attacking the ball, leaning forward, uh, his emphasis on tackling. I'm dumbfounded by the lack of tackling. How can you not tackle at this level? I mean, to me, that's like going to a National Hockey League player and say, you don't know how to skate. Or that's like going to an NBA player and say, you do not know how to dribble. You know, I mean, we're talking about tackling. And players are so undisciplined, even at the very top level. You see it and I see it every single game, especially when they drop to slow motion. Brother, you are told from the time that you ever put shoulder pads on. Whenever you put a helmet on, you can be eight years of age, and you are told, do not lower your head. You see it all the time, college and pro. Spur of the moment, they are going to drop your head. For one reason, the brain is wired that the contact, the explosion of the hit is not going to be as significant if you drop your head. And I don't know why that is. You don't see people do it in hockey, right? You got a helmet on there. There's plenty of physical combat in that sport. But anyway, tackling, it's been a massive problem. Remember, I thought all along, when we talked with Mike Caldwell, getting ready for the 2023 season, and I don't remember what reporter asked, but the question What is the one thing that this football team has to improve upon more than any? I think 99% of the listeners, certainly myself, would have said, pass rush. You need a pass rush. You didn't have a pass rush in 2022. Uh Uh-uh. What did Mike Caldwell say? Missed tackles. The Jaguars are in the bottom five of the league for missed tackles in 2022. And they missed a ton of tackles. Last year as well, especially late during that, you know, at eight and three, they were okay. But when they lost all those games at the end of the year, one of the things that was really a huge concern was missed tackles. And, you know, there's some school of thought that Mike Caldwell was the fall guy, right? Someone had to go. I think a lot of you wish that it was the offense that went, that it was Press Taylor and company that was let go. Not Mike I mean. You can make the point you probably could have still survived with him as the coordinator in that defense. Just find a way to really improve your offense. I mean, I don't care where you go, what the situation is. If you're getting with buddies tonight, you're talking about how the offense let down this team, not necessarily how the defense let down this team. Am I wrong? No, I, I'm not. It is. But getting to Ryan Nielsen yesterday, He kept alluding to just how important getting to the quarterback is. Rushing the quarterback and, on the backside, coverage. Very few teams do those two things well. What does Jacksonville do well? Well, they rushed the quarterback. They had two guys who had 27 and a half sacks. Josh Allen, Trayvon Walker. Okay? Okay. Trent Baalke did nothing to fortify that. He allowed, Orton, he allowed Arden Key to leave. He drafted an undersized fifth-round pass rusher who was a scratch from, like, what, week four, week five on? So you got no contribution. Your backup ends had a combined three sacks, two by, two by chase on, which is a, uh, since he's no longer <laughs> going to be with us, congratulations, Caleb Vaughn. That's a career high, your two sacks. Ryan Nielsen's talking about rushing, rushing the quarterback. Okay. Do teams in today's NFL have great rushing units who also are very good in coverage? They they should work hand in hand. We even saw it in some of these playoff games, where there were coverage sacks. The offensive line was doing its job for four, four and a half, five, five and a half seconds, and. The DBs were doing such a good job in coverage that that sacks actually did take place uh, in that particular area. I, I have always been one who has believed you can put Dick, you can put Dick, uh, Night Train Lane, Mel Blunt, Charles Woodson, Rod Woodson, Deion Sanders. Uh, Let me go with uh, Jalen Ramsey. Don't do it, Bully. Don't bring up Jalen Rams. Buster Brown. You can put all of those guys in your backfield. And if you don't get a pass rush, you're going to get picked apart. Yesterday, Ryan Nielsen, coverage, rush the quarterback, coverage. You know how many defensive backs, true corners, J.J.? The Jaguars have on their roster for the twenty twenty five season, not twenty twenty four, but twenty twenty five. Does that include
2: Tyson? I'm trying to think. He's gone. I would say zero. Then
1: Buster Brown and I'm Eric out. Hallett.
2: I don't even know who the second guy is.
1: Okay. <laughs> I want the center out of. I want the center out of Oregon. I want him at 17. I want offensive line, offensive line. I, I, I am so... Uh, it, it, Jackson Powers. Thank you. I, I am so set on building this line and fixing this offense that I'm willing to watch the defense um, suffer to some extent. You can't fix it all. You just can't. There's, there's, too many, there's too many holes to fix it all. There's too many problems. There's too many big decisions to fix it all. But you know what? That's league-wide. That's not a Jacksonville problem. That's a league problem under the current salary cap. But we're, 70, we're 69 days away from the NFL draft, okay? Okay. And I keep and hearing Ryan Nielsen. Yes, and now obviously they asked Ryan Nielsen. He's going to want a defense. But I, I really got the sense yesterday that Ryan Nielsen was was saying to this football team, "I need another corner. I need another corner. We don't know who the nickel corner is going to be. Trey Herndon's a free agent. You going to bring him back? You trust Antonio Johnson as a guy that is going to be a, a, a nickel, or is Antonio Johnson going to be the second safety?" Okay, you've got three-fourths of your defensive backfield up against free agency. Cisco's a free agent after the year. Tyson Campbell's a free agent at the end of the year. Darius Williams is a free agent at the end of the year. A lot of people think they're going to recoup that $11 million, pay out a $500,000 dead cap fee, and allow Darius Williams to go. What what if Ryan Nielsen says to Doug Peterson and Trent Bulkey, Darius Williams, because they've they've screwed this up. They had him playing nickel for way too long. He wasn't a good nickel. Darius Williams did not take it to the next level until he became an on-the-island quarterback. But he's a zone coverage corner. So what if Ryan Nielsen is watching all of this film? And he looks at Trent Polky and he looks at Doug Peterson and he says, listen, Darius Wayne's a really good football player, but with the scheme that I want to play, he's going to be lost. He's going to get beaten. We need to go in a different direction. And you have $11 million to work with to go out and maybe get a free agent corner or let's address it in the draft. Even though I don't want to go there. You know where I want to go. I want offensive line. Just because I want offensive line means nothing. I've wanted offensive line the last two drafts. Finally addressed it last year with Anton Harrison. And there's still some of you out there who believe the only reason why Anton Harrison is here is because Cam Robinson got popped on the eve of the draft for four games. And if that he didn't get popped, they would have gone in a different direction. Fascinating stuff. Really. Ryan Nielsen yesterday. So, hey, you know, I mean, what, today's the 16th. I mean, we, we are 24 days away from free agency and 69 days away from the NFL draft. I, I mean, it is, it'll be here before you know it. That, that's what, I mean, time literally does fly. We're already in mid-February, for crying out loud. This is just nuts, and, and these big decisions are coming. Enormous decisions are coming. All right, when I come back, I, I actually want to turn the attention a little bit, get, get to a little bit of college football, because while I'm gone, February 20th is going to be a big day. That is when the college football playoff committee is formally going to announce how the 12-team college football playoff is going to run. I got to believe it's five plus seven, right? Pac-12 is gone. They're commissioner today. They, uh, they went in different directions. You don't need a commissioner if you no longer have a conference. If you're getting still paid by the Pac-12 to be the commissioner without a conference, then all the power to you. But I bet, you know, I got to believe they, they're they going to take the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12, and then they're going to take the fifth highest ranked conference champion. There's your five. The other seven, I would have to believe, are the seven highest ranked teams in college football, which. The belief is, is going to be absolutely powered by the SEC. And I keep hearing the Big Ten, but come on. The Big Ten, I mean, Michigan and Ohio State, yeah. But who else are you really going to brag about with this year's Big Ten? I mean, think about that for a moment. And I understand things can change in a year. They always do. But if it was the case this year... Actually, let me say that for the other side. I'm gonna get caught up with some of these breaks. But I, I I do want to come back and do that. And also I've been trying to get to it all week, but I've been too ba- uh, too busy. I want to win some money in Vegas. And I can't bet on Tiger Woods anymore. I haven't bet in 10 and a half years. If there's a good place to go back to old habits, it's got to be Vegas, right? College football totals. Let's take a look at the local teams. That's coming up as well. Oh.
0: Let's go into the night with Rick Balu on 1010XL 92.5 FM.
1: All right, seeing you two this weekend in Las Vegas, they'll play the entire Octon Baby album, including this one, The Fly. Um, you know, Pat McAfee moves the needle. And someone sent it to me, and I just read, like, the first paragraph. I was like, I could care less, and I just deleted it. it. Obviously, I could care less. I'm mentioning it now. Um, but he's like, yeah, the U2 show would be great if they played some songs that we recognized. And I and I was Casual. just like, I was just kind of like, what? What are you talking about? Okay. If you don't like U2, fine. I get it. I'm all right with it. I'm sure they'll be all right with it. But you're playing the entire Acton Baby album, which came out in 93. Okay? Every song off that album, for the most part, was heard on the radio. And then you're playing songs. Uh, you're not playing anything off of Boy, October, War, or The Unforgettable Fire. But all I want is you, Desire, When Love Comes to Town. Um, you know, not my favorite songs, but they, they were all on the radio. Then you get back to everything off the, uh, the act-tongue. Baby album, and then you play "Elevation," the new song "Atomic City," which they dropped on you during the Super Bowl. I get it; maybe you're not a fan. Uh, "Vertigo," where the streets have no name, with or without you, and "Beautiful Day." I mean, how in the hell can you say they are not recognizable songs? But he's got his—he's got his fans, and if Pat McAfee says that those songs are not songs that you heard on the radio, Pat McAfee knows what the heck he's talking about i'm not even i don't even dislike him i've never heard him but it's a bad take i mean stay in your lane you know what i mean it just there's i guess one, he only knows
2: like sunday bloody sunday you know vertigo there's one song this man on a I mean, phone. they're not
1: playing pride in the name of love they're not playing new year's day but if you're a right?
2: real youtube fan you know every single one of these songs
1: exactly I mean, I could write a set list. I mean, I'd put Bad in there, Sort of a Homecoming in there. I'd put Bullet the Blue Sky in there, Running to Standstill uh, in there. Um, There's so many songs. When you have a thousand songs, it's
2: hard to just. Wasn't that their whole thing, though? They were going to play the entire
1: album. Yeah. Yeah. and, and so you should
2: probably know that going in.
1: Right. And their last, you know, one of their last tours was 30 years after the Joshua Tree. They did that in 2017. And I went to the shows in Miami and Tampa. They did the same thing. They played, I love that. That's for like true fans of the right. band. They came out with Sunday, Bloody Sunday, New Year's Day, Bad, Pride in the Name of Love, and then played the entire Joshua Tree album. Pat McAfee's saying they're not playing songs that people know. They have one new song. One, it's called Atomic City. One's the biggest hit off of Octon Baby. They're going to play, what is he talking about? The Big Ten, okay, we're going to get a five plus seven. Seven at-large teams, seven highest-ranked teams, we believe, is what the college football playoff selection committee is going to do. That makes most sense, right? You would think so. All of this SEC and Big Ten stuff, I get it. They are far and away the two most powerful conferences, and they're going to have the loudest voice. The SEC, absolutely. But outside of Michigan and Ohio State, I mean, Penn State was 10-3. They ended up being ranked 13th in America, so they're right on the cusp. But outside of that, no way. I mean, Iowa was ten and four, Northwestern eight and five, Maryland eight and five, Rutgers seven and six, Wisconsin seven and six, Nebraska five and seven. So I just think it's so convenient to say Big Ten, SEC, but I really do wonder, you know, what's it going to be like when it's all said and done uh, with these other teams? The, you know the SEC clearly far and away. When you look at the 12 highest-ranked teams, the SEC would have had four. You would have had Georgia, Missouri, Alabama, Mississippi, and possibly LSU who ended up being ranked 12th. So you might have had five, the champion, and four at-large teams. Four out of the seven spots may have gone to the SEC. I see only one going to the Big Ten. That's Ohio State. That leaves two open spots. Um, I don't even know how else
2: would have gotten it. I uh, think Penn State, when when we get to the maybe. 12, yeah. and then and it's just going to expand. We already know. But Penn State, I feel yeah. like, is going to be one of those teams that's in every year. Notre Dame
1: might have gotten one.
2: That's a team you don't – So yeah. when they're doing the at-large bids, I mean, what happens with Notre Dame? They're not well, in a conference. You would think that they would – have something in writing that says, and Notre Dame.
1: No wonder I struggled to find if it. If they get
2: like 10 wins or something.
1: No wonder I, no wonder I struggled to find it because they're no longer with us. But the large teams would have been Oregon and Arizona. There you go. <laughs> and they're no longer there. You know, they're,
2: but. Yeah, I do have a problem with the way that the Big Ten is talked about as if they are equal to the SEC. It's, no, no. Very bothersome. No. Uh, even adding Oregon, adding Washington, that doesn't – I don't care. It, if you look at – here's a great thing you can do to, like, where the conferences rank is look at – they just came out. The team total wins and from Vegas. And there's a lot of, like, five-and-a-halves, four-and-a-halves in the middle and back part of the Big Ten. Like – from top to bottom in the SEC, it's it's pretty damn good. Even Florida, who has like a five-and-a-half win total, they could potentially be like one of the best 25 teams in the nation, even with like five wins next year. That's how mm-hmm. strong the SEC is, how tough their schedule is. You can't say the same for Northwestern or you go down to Illinois or whoever it is in the
1: Big Ten. Well, let's look at the SEC West, even though it's been dominated by Alabama and LSU had a nice little run. Um, this year, you talk to any real fan in college football, any real SEC fan, and they'll tell you that going to the Grove is a problem. Going to Texas A&M College Station is a problem. Going um, you know, to the Plains is a problem. Uh, going to uh, Stark Vegas is a problem. Going to Little Rock, going to uh, Fayetteville, that is a problem. Okay, It's a problem for them all. Kentucky, yeah, try to win on the road. The SEC East, maybe not as much. Okay, I I, I've never thought South Carolina is that hard of a place to win. Vanderbilt, that tough of a place to win. Missouri, I mean, come on, Missouri's had some good success. Missouri was eleven and two this year. They still kind of feel like an afterthought. Yeah, feel like a little bit of an afterthought. You know, to me, when I look at the East, to me, it's always Georgia, Florida, Tennessee. Always will be. I think those are the three major players. The others are basketball schools or whatever it may be. But it's going to be really interesting to see how this whole thing works out as far as ranking teams. By the way, Mizzou has a really easy schedule next
2: year for SEC standards. They got pretty lucky, dodged some big ones. So if you're looking for like a crazy, sneaky team – to sneak in the playoffs, uh, you can't put, I mean, the SEC is going to get like five in. I feel like it's going to be like that every year. I think they deserve to probably most years. So I can see teams like a, you know, a nine win Kentucky or a nine win Missouri, like sneaking in this thing every couple of years. All right, I need to win
1: some money. We all do. Going to Vegas. Florida State, nine and a half. Open up against Georgia Tech. That's in Dublin. That's a win for the tribe. That's one and zero. BC on a on a Monday night, Labor Day night in God's country. That's a victory for the tribe. I got him at two and zero. Memphis comes rolling in, Chief, Chief, hey Chief, give me the spear, Chief, Chief, give me that spear. That's three and zero, tribe. Cal for crying out loud. I cannot wait, actually I can wait for Jim Phillips to tell me just how great life is with California entering the Atlantic Coast Conference. We got a bunch of wicked smart kids way out there in Northern California. Uh, Jim, they win like two games a year. Doesn't matter. Academics is what's most important. 4-0. Tribe. SMU in Dallas. Wow. Long trip. Cowgirls. Buckle belts. Got to deal with all that type of stuff. I mean, that's a big trip. Knowles, five and zero. Clemson, Saturday, October fifth, Tallahassee, Florida. Doctor Herbie, Chris Fowler. All right, uh, Holly Rowe, DJ Uyunglele against Clemson. Knowles, five and zero. Oh. At Duke. 26,000 and change. Late arriving crowd. Knowles. 7-0. At Miami. Florida State benefits the extra night off. They play that Duke game on a Friday. They get the extra day of rest. The long trip to South Florida. That's a victory for the tribe. 7-0. Florida State. North Carolina. Saturday, November 2nd. that's a victory. FSU. 9-0. At Notre Dame. Cold. Bitterly cold. I mean, brutally cold. I went to a Florida State-Notre Dame game in November. Back in 1993, it was the game of the century. Florida State was on the wrong side of that one. I also went to one in, I don't know, 2002, 2003. Chris Ricks, maybe his best game as a a knoll. Crothonzo Thorpe, Dakota Fagg, Threw, like, five touchdown passes. Give me the Knowles. That's 10-0. Charlie South. This game has trap written all over it when Charles Southern comes in. Charleston Southern. Saturday, November 23rd. That's a victory for Florida State. Gators come in. Billy Napier's already been fired. Well, they fired Ron Zook, Blue, and they announced Bobby Bowden Stadium. What happened on that particular evening? All right, there you go. Florida State over Florida. That's twelve and zero. Yet Vegas is telling me nine and a hook. All right, realistically. Clemson's a bloodbath. SMU That's a scary one, man. SMU is like it was like this year's pit game that I kept referencing. Miami's a rivalry. North Carolina can play. They can score with anyone, right? Even though they're making a quarterback change. At Notre Dame is going to be vicious. And then a Florida rivalry game. I don't bet. I'm not going to bet in Vegas. But if I was, I would play Florida State over the 9.5. I I see a 10-2 here at worst. I My guess my guess right now would be ten and two, eleven and one, somewhere in that area. How about you?
2: I was gonna say three losses more likely than one, but I like your two range, but I just think Florida State's not gonna be nearly as good as they were last year. I I, I think the quarterback drop off is a lot bigger than people think. I'm not a huge fan of DJU when he was supposed to come to Miami. I wasn't super stoked about that. But 10 wins, is that's, that's so doable, man. I just don't know what SMU is. I think their offense is going to be really good. Uh, Lashley is their coach there. It's on the road. I think that could be an upset. And Clemson, I mean, you guys always struggle with Clemson. Even last year when Clemson kind of sucked and you guys were so good, it, it came down to like a missed field goal. So, uh, and Miami. I think Miami's going to be good. So, I think there could be three losses yeah. in there. Oh, it was a
1: big strip fumble. That was the difference in the game. Uh, do we have time to do Miami? Yeah. Boy, what uh, a- uh we, should, we should break. We got all this momentum going. <laughs> I know. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll look at the U. And we'll look at you Florida Gator fans. I don't want to leave you by five and a half for the U. Oh, excuse me, nine and a half for the U. Five and a half for Florida. We'll come back and look at both those games. I'm just trying to find a way to make some money. Gone next week in Vegas, but I'll miss
0: you. Into the night with Rick Ballew on 1010XL 92.5 FM.
1: Now right, let's play this one for Pat. He started this one. Boy, a lot of nonsense is coming out now on Bill Belichick. Apparently Tom Brady really gets into him. It's it's coming up tonight somewhere uh, out there that is streaming, but talking about the Patriots and their 20-year run, but I guess Brady just talks about there's just no way he was going to sign up for it any longer. Matthew Slater tore him up. I mean, Belichick kept a roster spot for Matthew Slater, to be a special teams player only. And he was a hell of a special teams player. He was a consistent pro bowler. But he said playing under Coach Belichick was brutal. And all he did was cover kicks. (laughs) I mean, he didn't play safety. He didn't, I mean, he covered kicks. Um, So I'm fascinated by this. Rob Gronkowski goes on to say, uh, recalling sitting in his car in the parking lot of the athletic facility, not wanting to go in. Wes Welker said, um, Brady's treatment was comparable to that of a abused dog. So this is going to be pretty good when it comes out. And, you know, it makes you wonder, is it over? Is it over? What really happened in Atlanta? How did he not get that job? You know, I I, I think he's got something left, but he's 72 and he's going to be 73. Do you want to bring that man into your building? I think it's a very fair conversation. I I, I think the assumption has been, yes, he is going to come back because he's arguably the greatest coach of all time. But we don't know that. Let's get to uh, Miami. They open up at Florida. What a ball game that's going to be to start the year. That's in Gainesville. Uh, I think Miami's a better program right now, especially with Cam Ward. I'm going to take Miami. and now This is a subject to change. How about you?
2: I'll take Miami, but, uh, man, just being the first week of the season in Gainesville, that's going to be tough. I don't care who, how good Florida is, it's always tough to play there, man. All A- the and Rattlers- they, they've gotten up for the week one
1: games against Utah the last two years. Right? Uh, the Rattlers, uh, an old buddy of mine, James Colsey, their new coach. Really happy about that. I've gone back and forth with James. Going to have him on soon. He takes over the Rattlers program. Uh, came up huge in the, in the comeback Uh The uh, 31-31 game, Florida State scored four unanswered touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Gator fans may remember that one. I know the Knoll fans do. Ball State, a couple of victories. See, here's what's interesting about Miami. They got to win games like going to Tampa to play South Florida. Right now, it may look easy on paper, but you know as a fan... That is not going to be easy. And, and you've got to find ways to win those type of games. I've actually been to a game where
2: they played at USF and they had to win on the last second field goal. <laughs> so, yep. yes.
1: Yep. Vatek, great rivalry. I, I, right now, I'm looking. Right now, the naked eye says Miami 5-0. and They're terrible now. I that's don't know bad. if I'd bet on that, but it says 5-0. and All right. I made fun of Cal coming into Tallahassee. Well, there's a difference when you go to Cal. When <laughs> yeah. you fly all the way out there, that, that's a haul. Um, Still think you're better. I I tell you what, the at-Louisville game, Florida State is a huge rivalry. is a huge rivalry. The at-Louisville game is probably the most difficult game on your schedule who's not a rival. Louisville crushed the transfer portal. They were the number one team this year ranked for what they did as far as transfers. And they beat us last year. Yep. Uh, Florida State, Duke at Tech, Wake, Syracuse. I Nine and a half. Boy, man. I'd go
2: under. at Right about nine,
1: seems. Yeah. Nine and three looks about good. I'd be happy with nine wins. Okay. Uh, we're running out of time. Let's just run through Florida here. Miami, that's a loss. Sanford, Texas A&M at home. Tough one. At Mississippi State, tough one. UCF at Tennessee. Mm. Well, you own Tennessee. I could see you being 5-1 there. Then all they need is one more. Right. Kentucky's owned them as of late or, or beaten them. Georgia, no way. At Texas, no way. With LSU at home, no way. Uh, Ole Miss at home. No. Florida State, no. Florida could lose their last six games. Kentucky, Georgia, Texas, LSU, Mississippi, Jesus. and Florida State. They could lose six in a row. And I'm not even counting Tennessee, which would get all of this play, but you and I both know It'll be Florida owns Tennessee. I think Florida could start five and one and end up going zero and six. So that, that number's pretty right at five and seven. All right, final thoughts coming up on the other side. Get you ready
0: for
1: no hacker tonight. No hacker. So we'll just uh, take you on throughout a Friday evening right here in
0: your home the Jag. Into the Night with Rick Ballew on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All
1: right, I'm off for a week to Las Vegas. I'll be back one week from Monday. JJ taking off as well. What, you leave on Thursday?
2: I do. Bon voyage. And you will return when? I think like the 5th or the 6th. Fifth of the i I'm sixth. gone, gone, man. Yeah.
1: Man. All right. Enjoy yourself. Thank you. You too. Travel safe.
2: Now, don't uh, spend too much money on the craps table. I know that's your go-to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. Going to be a lot of fun. Got some buddies out there celebrating a birthday. Uh, so, it's, it's going to be a, a, a great time. All right. If you have not heard, Tiger Woods uh, forced, uh, forced to, uh, um, you know, right on the seventh fairway. That, that was just it for him, apparently after his T-ball, uh, plus one today, plus two for the tournament. Uh, but uh, that is it, and now it's in question as to what his future is. Hopefully it's just back spasms, but still with a fuse back, it's been problematic. Patrick Cantley, a 65 today after a 64 yesterday. Again, his statistics this year, he's best on the tour on Thursday with a 64.75, goes up to a 73 on Sunday. But he plays well today, uh, 65. So he's got a five-stroke lead over Mackenzie Hughes, Luke List, and Jason Day. A couple of other notables, uh, Corey Connors at 7-under, Xander Shoffley, and Will Zala- Zalatoris, along with Tom Hoagie, at minus 6. A couple of other notables, let's see, Max Homa at minus 4, Scotty Scheffler at 4-under, Ricky Fowler minus 3, uh, Russell Henley minus three, Victor Hovland minus three. It's good to see that because there were rumors that he was going to the live. Yeah. Uh, Bha uh, Bhn uh, minus three. Jordan Spieth minus three. Rory McIlroy. Totally different days. Yesterday a plus two seven or a plus three seventy four. Today a sixty six. He's at minus two. And that's about it. Top fifty in cuts. Gary Woodland. Uh, Even par. 70 yesterday, 72 today. Uh, Cooch made the cut at plus two. Actually, let me... Well, they just got rid of the projected cut line. Oh, the following players, um, plus one is the cut line. So, it looks like uh, Cooch is going to be going home. Keegan Bradley is going to be going home. Justin Thomas, plus three, is going to be going home as well. Folks, have a great week. I will be back in one week. JJ as well, back a little bit after that. You'll still get him during primetime, noon until 3. Have an outstanding weekend. Drink, drink, drink. Please do not drive.